Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to the Love Life Connection podcast, a podcast for successful women who feel like they have it all except love. I'm Veronica Grant, your host and a love and life coach. And my only goal with this podcast is to inspire you to believe in yourself and that real love is possible for you, even in our swipe right, swipe left world. You with me? Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode 134 of the Love Life Connection podcast. I'm really excited to be here today and I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend and my former coach that I worked with last year, Becca Piastrelli. But before we get there, I just want to remind you that the Date Yourself Challenge is starting really, really soon and depending on when you're listening to this, it might have already started, but not to worry, it's definitely not too late to join us. So if you haven't joined us yet, now is the time to stop procrastinating and open up the show notes. You can get that from the podcast player here and click on the link that says Date Yourself challenge, you can also go to veronicagrant.com forward slash date yourself challenge and sign up for free. And it's pretty much what it sounds like. For five days, I'm going to give you five daily dates to have with yourself that yes, some will include just what you would think in terms of dating yourself. But some of it's going to also be I'm going to push you to dig a little deeper and pop the hood and really ask yourself, why am I attracting these types of people? Why am I not in the relationship that I want to be in yet so that you can really get out of your own way and uncover and then get around some blocks and limiting beliefs that are keeping you out of love. It's super fun. And it's free. And there's also a pop up Facebook group. And that community has been so amazing so far. And we're also excited for the challenge to start. And we want you to be in the group with us to be a part of it. So if you're listening to this episode around the time that is released, make sure you head over to veronicagrant.com forward slash date yourself challenge to join us. And if it's past the date yourself challenge, you can still go there and, and join us. And I often either have the wait list on for the next time we run and sometimes I run an evergreen challenge. So you can join that anytime. So either way, head over to that link so you don't miss out. All right, like I said, I'm really excited to introduce you to Becca. So Becca is so amazing. I don't remember exactly how I found her. It's just kind of like, once you're in the coaching world, someone mentioned someone on Instagram, then you go to their profile, and then you go to someone else's profile they mentioned. And I'm pretty sure that's how I landed upon Becca. And I actually first, really, I wasn't even working with her, really, but she does this handmade holiday program, where you can buy a box of things that you would need to make really cool handmade gifts. So lip balms and candles and ornaments and things like that. And so I've done that for the past few years. And so that was my first taste into Becca and how she helps women work with their hands to reduce anxiety, connect with themselves, connect with others, and especially women around them. And last year when I moved to Denver, I was just feeling especially lonely and really having a hard time of putting myself out there and meeting people. It just 
just felt so triggering for me. And I had a really hard time just opening up. And it just kept happening over and over again. And I'm like, okay, this is the same thing I tell my clients, if one thing happens one time, whatever, right, anomalies happen. But when the same thing happens over and over again, that usually means there's something deeper going on. There's some sort of trigger or or past pain or hurt that hasn't been addressed or hasn't been healed yet. And so I had a sneaking suspicion that perhaps I had some wounds around a sisterhood and female friendships that was really preventing me from putting myself out there to female friends and building my community and tribe here in Denver. So I turned to Becca and it's it was an incredible experience to work with her and to do some past healing and look at my lineage and my history of women in my family, and um, just what's been passed down through epigenetics, through um, beliefs, and through uh, even just teachings. And what I just love about her is that this is just a way that isn't really talked a lot about in terms of how women can connect with themselves, and really connect with others, especially in this time that is called the age of loneliness. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about this in the interview. So I'm not going to get too into it. But I think it's so fascinating this this idea of the age of loneliness. So we live in a really hyper connected world, right? Like you're probably doing whatever you're doing right now, and listening to me with your earbuds. And so this is like really being hyper connected, right? And there's Instagram, and there's Instagram stories, and Snapchat, and Facebook, and all of these things where we can just literally be hyper connected with other people, people that we don't even know, we feel like we know them, or maybe people that we used to know in quote, unquote, real life, but haven't talked to them in years. Yet as more as much as we're connected with these people, we're also more and more um, not needing to interact with actual human beings in our day to day life, right? We can order coffee, we can order groceries without ever talking to a human. We passively follow a friend on Instagram, and that's considered quote unquote, keeping in touch. And Becca really believes, and I believe too strongly, that this is creating a huge crisis in our mental health. And I would take this even a step further in my own work that I do with women, and that I think this shows up in our relationships with men. Because even though, again, we are hyper-connected, we are also hyper-lonely, but we're humans, and Becca will talk about this more, we crave deep connection with other people. And I think really what we're craving is connection with other women through community and village and friendships and all those types of things. But we go about to try to get this connection that we're craving to fill this void from men and from swiping and from dating and from relationships, rather than using the many different tools that we have in order to fill this void. So that when you go out on a date, we're really coming from a place of being a full complete person rather than like, please fill this void for me, please complete me. Um, Which as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know, that doesn't work. So before we get to my conversation with Becca, as always, I love to know how and where you are listening to this podcast. So if you are walking your dog, doing the dishes on your commute, um, waiting for your kids to finish ballet, whatever it is, snap a photo, snap a selfie and put it on Instagram and make sure you tag me at Veronica E. Grant or and use hashtag love life connection. You can put it on your Instagram stories or your Instagram feed. And a it's gonna be so fun. I love seeing how you guys are listening to the podcast. It's just a really fun thing for me to see like, oh, yes, people really are listening to this on the other side. It's not just me talking into a microphone for the sake of me talking into a microphone. But also it really does help to grow the show and let your friends know what you're listening to. And so I really, really appreciate that. Okay, so with all of that in mind, without further delay, let's get on to my conversation with Becca. Hi, Becca. Welcome to the show. I'm really excited you're here. I'm so happy to finally be on this podcast with you. It's so such an honor. Yes, yes. Um, Well, really excited to be here. And I'm excited to talk about all the things that we're going to talk about. But before we do that, I have a feeling my audience may not know who you are. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in the world. Yeah, I wonder how I'll answer that question today. (laughs) (laughs) I know it changes on a daily basis. Yeah, well, hello everybody, I'm Becca Piastrelli. And um, I'm a writer and I'm a women's coach and I'm a seeker on the path of trying to be a better human. Lately I've been saying, trying to be a good ancestor, trying to be 
someone who um, is really walking this path in life in a good way. And so for me, that has a lot to do with healing um, what I call the sisterhood wound of like relationships with women and community and folks around us. I know, especially in these times, it feels so divisive and we can feel so hidey from one another. So it's about coming back together in community and learning to trust ourselves and trust each other. I'm also passionate about um, earth-based practices, connecting with the earth, treating the earth with love and care. And that is a reflection of our bodies, how we treat our bodies with love and care. And then I'm deeply passionate about ancestral wisdom, really looking back, looking at the past, looking at the way our ancestors lived, how they worked with their hands, how they gathered together, how they were in relationship with each other because we live in a time known as the age of loneliness where we're more connected than ever before and we're more prosperous and we have more access. And yet we often feel more lonely, more disconnected, more of that existential ache of belonging. And um, there's so many ways to um, come at that, but it's really important to me that we come back into community. We remember the ways of our ancestors and we tend to our bodies and earth with love. So that's how, that's what it feels like today. I love that. That's amazing. So I want to break down a lot of these things. Um, but the first thing is I know your big thing is ancestral healing. And you said being a good ancestor. And so I would just love to hear a little bit more about that. What is ancestral healing? How does it help us today? And what does it mean to be a good ancestor? Yeah, well, hmm. And I know this is like your life's work, so I expect you to answer in like 30 seconds. I, yeah. <laughs> I, right. So the first thing I want to say is I'm, I'm not like a practitioner of ancestral healing, and there are some people who are practitioners of ancestral healing, and that's why I said I'm a seeker on the path, um, but I'm passionate about holding space for all of us on our ancestral healing path, because it's so important. Like for you, we've talked about it when it comes to romantic relationships and um, friendships and community building. I mean, but it's, it's the gateway, I think, to so much of our stuff. I mean, a lot of us have heard like, you know, well, the stuff that happened in childhood got imprinted on us and like our beliefs about love and our beliefs about the world but there's actually so much that happened in the generations and generations, thousands of years of all the people that came before us back to the mitochondrial Eve, the original clan mother, the original human beings that led to us. Like all of that is in us. And there's this study called epigenetics, which I think you and I are going to jam on in a moment, which is the, the proof, the scientific proof that, a lot of the traumas and belief systems and vows and a lot has happened in history that can be passed down to us. And sometimes we're not even super aware of why we're feeling triggered or why we're feeling anxious or why we're feeling like posting this on Instagram means certain death, you know, or whatever it is. And a lot of that can be, we can look to our ancestors. We can look to that the way they lived, what they went through, whether or not we have access to the genealogical records or not, looking in that way, looking upstream is a way to find healing, find peace and find resolution so we can move forward with more freedom and more joy and more confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and use the buzzword epigenetics for those of those who don't for those of those for those who don't know um, what epigenetics is. Can you just give a brief definitions or how how you see it? Yeah, again, not an epigeneticist, right? But, right, right. Um, and it's really it's quite sciencey, but in general terms, and the way I look at it in, in the frame I work with it is trauma is passed down genetically in our DNA. Uh, so this means that. Um, I mean, the same way like alcoholism is genetic, you know, there are certain things that are passed through and now they're finding epigenetics is a really exciting new science and a lot is coming out of it. Disease is passed down genetically. And then this idea of like belief systems can be passed down genetically. I like to talk, especially like I'm in the spiritual woo crowd and there's a, and I also work with women and female identified people. And there's a lot of fears around relationships with women. And there's a lot of fears around using our voices and speaking up, especially politically in a divisive climate. 
and I talk about the burning times in like the 1600s in Europe where like millions of women who were powerful and owned property and had knowledge of how to birth babies and how to make medicines were systematically killed in order to uphold the patriarchy. And so when I talk about the burning times, a lot of people get tears in their eyes and they start shaking and there's these feelings of knowing. And I'm like, that to me is ancestral memory awakening in us. That's one example. And it either resonates with you or it doesn't, but I know it really resonated with me that I started looking into epigenetics to understand my own fears and traumas that I knew weren't my own, but I knew enough about what my grandparents and my great grandparents and my great, great grandparents went through that explains like, Oh, I do dim my light because it wasn't safe to do so because the men abused the women in the past four generations. That makes sense. Even though I'm perfectly safe now in my life and I have a very loving relationship with my husband, there's that fear I have with him. And so it's actually helped me feel a little less crazy, you know, around my beliefs. (laughs) And not just be like, that's a stupid belief and be like, well, actually that does make sense. I have compassion for my inner little girl who's scared and for the trauma that's living in my DNA and then to bring intention to releasing it. So how do we then, well, I I mean, okay, there's so many things I want to ask. I'm like, ah, where do I go with this? First is like, how do we start connecting? Like, where do we start when we're like wanting to connect with our ancestors? Where do you recommend people start? Does it matter if it's on your mom's side or your dad's side or, you know, what, what would you say? Yeah. I have an article that I'll send to you and you can put in the show notes. Okay. That perfect. It's, it's not like a roadmap. It's just like, here are some options. You start with where your intuition tells you to go. So for me over the past year, it's been like mom's side, mom's side. There's a lot going on with my mom's side. And so I've been going on pilgrimages. I went to Ireland. I just got back from Maine where like my mother's family was. And that's just been my curiosity of going there. And also what I, what is also causing me pain, you know, what is also feeling like causing me harm. And so that's where I started. Uh, And that, and the ways you can do that could be a 23andMe test or an ancestry test. Or there's all these tests now. It could be if you have access to genealogical records, it's do, it, you can do it that way. I want to pause and say some of us don't have that kind of access. And that doesn't mean you can't do this work. Many of us who identify as white have way more access than those of us who identify as people of color. Or if you're for mental health reasons, needing to cut yourself off from your family or uh, you're adopted or there's adoptions. It doesn't mean you can't do this work. It's just can look different. You can do work in your dreams. You can ask before you go to bed to like, I would like to speak to some of my ancestors. If you're like woo curious in that way, you can look into the history of um, your last name or like the last names, you know, in your family there's so many paths and really what you just want to listen for with your intuition is like, what's resonating, what's resonating. And there are practitioners who do like ancestral and past life regressions. If you want to do that, there are therapists who can pull that out of you. There's so many ways to do this work. I tend more towards the gentle, slow, slow approach because this is a lifetime's journey of pulling back the layers of the onion. And um, you know, I'm, I'd say I'm like, I'm step one to a hundred. I'm on step three and it's just feeling so good. And I just encourage people to not rush to like be healed. I'm not sure we can be healed, but we can keep going forward on this healing journey. Yeah. I love that. And it's just reminding me that I want to focus on pulling some things out of my mom's side, you know, with the death of my Nana, it's just, you know, brought up a lot of, a lot of stuff. And what's funny is when we were working together, so we used to work together, I tell clients everything. Um, one thing that you had me do was um, I got my, I don't think I did 23andMe, I think I did Ancestry, but I got my Ancestry test and it wasn't as surprised. It wasn't super surprising, um, except I had more some Sweden or something like that than I thought that I would. Um, but anyways, you were like, I'm Nordic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you're, and one thing you said to me was, well, what if you look up some Scottish dishes and, you know, eat that? And so CB and I did, or I did, and then, you know, CB made it because uh, he's the cook of the house for okay. the most part. <laughs> um, 
And we made this really yummy dish that was just really fun. And, and I, there was something about it where it was just like, wow, this just really grounds me. And it was like inexplicable. And it's probably like the epigenetics saying like, oh yeah, I haven't had this kind of food like in a really long time or whatever. Um, we made, it's called mince and toddies, basically. I think that's what it's called. And it's basically ground beef with some spices and um, mashed potatoes. So it's like not that like, crazy kind of food, but we just don't really eat that kind of stuff much. And, and just to eat it with the spices and like, you're supposed to like make a bowl with the mashed potatoes and then put the meat inside. I don't know. It was just, it was really good. It was really fun. And one thing that I found also when I was Googling some recipes is I found this milk based fish soup and, um, I had never, I mean, it's not like a really common kind of soup. It wasn't like a clam chowder type of thing. It was just like literally milk and fish. And one thing that my grandma and my great grandma, my dad's side always made was this salmon stew. And it's literally milk and salmon and then like some butter and salt and pepper. And that's it. And it was like, never seen it anywhere else. You'll never see it at a restaurant. Like where did this recipe come from? And I'm just kind of wondering if it's just one of those really old recipes from our family. And that was just really fun to share with my grandma and my dad when I made that discovery. So the stuff works is basically why I'm telling you all this stuff. I'm so glad you shared that. And I think that's also for people who are like not really wanting to go down the genealogical route or the DNA test route or for whatever reason, like just knowing a little bit of your heritage, you know, like you have some Scottish in you, you know, I also do too. And I asked you to look up a recipe of your people, of those people that you belong to, you by blood belong to those people because um, a lot of what a lot hasn't survived throughout industry and um, globalization and capitalism, but what has survived are food, song and dance and story that has what survived. And that has preserved in it culture, belief systems, myths, but it also has um, like emotions built into it. And a lot of us are looking to feel home feelings, belonging, comfort, you know? And what I love about what you shared is you said that it wasn't a really fancy meal, but it's like potatoes, right? Like that was the crop that they could always count on like farming, even when things got really hard, like potatoes were there and like beef, beef came from the cows that was grazing land. So like the cows were eating the grasses of those highlands or whatever it was and like salt and then milk and fish. Like these are peasant foods basically, right? These ain't fancy. And this is what the people, the folk, you know, when we think about like folk songs, folk stories, like folk foods, this is a way for us to access that ancestral memory. Yes, it's epigenetics, but for me, it's like a remembrance, right? Even if I, even if you'd never had that mince and toddies or whatever it is, there was a feeling of comfort or of curiosity or just like, this is fun. And it's, it's eating. Uh, my friend Darla Antoine talks about food and ancestors a lot as like food is the way we connect easily. And it's like universal, um, it's the great equalizer. We can all access food and it's a way for the stories to live on and for the healing to happen. So even if you can't go to therapy to work out your mom issues, or even if you can't get the blood test or find out genealogically what happened or whatever it is, you can eat the food of your people or the food that you're, you know, like I have, I have one client who, when she eats boxed funfetti cake, (laughs) It brings to mind feelings of being with her great grandmother when she was a child. And that's ancestral healing work too. You know, it doesn't always have to be like ancient fish stew, although I'm really into ancient fish stew because that's what my ancestors ate. It's just a beautiful connection. I have another client who, whose father was stationed at Okinawa. And so when she eats Japanese food, it feels like she can reconnect with her father in those times of feeling like a joyful child. So yeah. I say we all have ancestral potlucks and bring food of our ancestors and connect in that way. I love that. That's awesome. Um, And that just reminds me of what you said about the Jewish side of my family where food is such like a big thing and, oh my God, I could just go on, which I won't. Um, But I think there's something to be learned from that, you know, gathering every week for Shabbat and having just very certain foods that 
I don't know, have been passed down over generations. Yeah. Um, pretty intense, severe, traumatizing times for your people. Yeah. The food, the Shabbat kept going. Like yeah. there's healing in that. Resilience built into those foods, into those rituals, into those the flames in those candles. It's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about food, which I love food, so we could keep going, but um, but what are some other ways to connect with our ancestors or, you know, do this work that we call ancestral healing? Or yeah. mm-hmm. Well, I like, I like to have photos of them in my home. Um, again, I want to acknowledge that for some people that's impossible, but if it, if you do have the privilege, um, to, to make use of it, especially because we are the generation that doesn't print our photos, which side note, I have a concern about, I feel like we need to print our photos and preserve them because anyways, what if the cloud goes down guys? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I digress. I actually created an ancestor gallery wall in my home. Um, because like I had photos of my grandparents and great grandparents and even great greats that I didn't even know the names of, but I know I'm descended from, and now I'm full and obsessed with getting them. And yeah, in a wall in my home, um, you know, like right next to my husband's stormtrooper art is <laughs> you know, to be like best friends. <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah. Like I have a bust of a stormtrooper and then I have all, you know, my grandmother's and my great grandmother, you know, I have one of my great grandmother, Philomena Schleuker, um, at age six, right. When she immigrated from Poland to new Orleans and she looks scared and grumpy. And I'm just like, Whoa, it just brings me, I walk past it every day. And, you know, I sometimes say their names or I just say thank you. But even just seeing them in my home, if you have an altar, put it there by your bedside, wherever, to just bring their faces and names. Did you see Coco? No. Okay, everybody go see Coco. It's the Pixar film that is based in Mexico. And it's all about Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, which is not just Mexican. Actually, that time of year, which is like, Halloween, modern day Halloween is really when the earth is starting to look like it's dying, right? It's like the end of the harvest and it's like first frost comes in. Again, it depends where you live. And it's a reminder that death is exists. And so it's a reminder to our ancient ancestors that um, people have died and to honor them. And so in Mexican culture, that's really been preserved, that tradition. And so the whole, my whole point is in the movie, there's this whole thing about, well, we need to have the photos of the ancestors so we remember them because as long as we remember them, they are alive in our lives. They are alive in our consciousness. They are here supporting us and we are supporting them. And I remember just like, just sobbing slightly watching that movie and being like, wow, yeah, like in a lot of like American white culture, if you identify that way, there's sort of been a severing of that honoring of ancestors in that way unless in unless in your family it has been preserved so I was like you know what I'm going to print these photos and I'm going to put them on my wall and I and sometimes I forget their names and then I'm like wait text my mom she's still living and I just said mom like what who's this person again she goes that's your great-grandmother Jenny I'm like okay Jenny 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 and I just say their name so that their memory stays alive in my life, you know, and I have a client who it's too traumatizing to really have the pictures of the last two generations, but she's feeling very connected to her Italian roots. And so she's printed out old maps of Italy and put them in her home and like pictures of like old nanas and nanos, like rolling bread. And she's like, and that has the same emotional connection to me or what I, what I'm calling in, uh, which I thought was really special. Yeah. I love that. I've been watching the series Outlander. Uh, so good. Which, which, I mean, besides Jamie just being like really dreamy. I'm watching. I don't, is there a story? I don't know. I just look at him. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like, I was watching this because of Scotland, but now I'm just watching it because of him. <laughs> they like leave Scotland in the latest one. I'm like, no, stay in Scotland. <laughs> um, well, I haven't gotten that far, but I do know that they oh, leave. No, no, no. You didn't give anything away. I, I know they leave. Um, but yeah, I start, I started reading that and then switched over to the, the show because, um, yeah, I just, it's just really fun to connect with Scotland and Scottish heritage in that way. When I was little, well, there's a lot of Scottish in the North and South Carolina 
area. There was a big migration. Um, so it's not surprising my family's there. And every year in North Carolina near um, Grandfather Mountain, which is like an hour or two from Asheville, probably closer to two hours, they have these huge Highland games. And so they play like all the old games and like there's like the clans all have their little booths. And so I remember my dad when I was little buying a, a tie with the Grant clan plaid or whatever. But it's just things like that. Like, I don't know, it just might be fun for people to look up and see if there's like a Scottish festival or an Italian festival or like whatever festival. Or just like traditional music being yeah. played at a local bar even. I know when I hear the Scottish accent... I either get a little weepy or like swoony. Like I'm just like, <gasps> you know, it just feels so good. To, I, Cause I, for my father's side, I'm Scottish. So I, I, that basically why I watch Outlanders to listen to them. And <laughs> oh, so good. I, I know we could talk about TV shows all day long, but I'll resist. Um, what's, your, what's your Scottish name? I don't Oh, you mean my last name? No. Grant. Grant. Oh, it's Grant. Oh, okay. Yeah. But what's interesting is, um, so my papa, his last, like, that's the Grant family. Um, but that's not actually my biological grandfather. My grandmother and um, another man had my father, but he's like, we don't know who he is. He's not in the picture. Interesting. And so, um, but I assume he still probably um, has Scottish in him just because there's so much Scottish in my DNA. Um, so we don't know really about what his clan name was or anything like that. So I just identify with the Grant clan. Right. And that feels good and home to you. Yeah. 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 Awesome. You got to get on a pilgrimage to Scotland. I know. Well, Stevie and I had plans to, when our kids, when we have kids and they're older to do a trip to Belarus and then Scotland, because obviously my dad's family from Scotland, my mom's family is from Belarus and his entire family is from Belarus, both sides. And, um, but I'm kind of, I was, we were watching out later the night and I was like, I don't know if I want to wait that long until we have like kids that are 10 years old. Cause that might be a really long time. So we'll go next year, the year after, I don't know, I have to look at our travel schedule, but yeah, I'm, I'm dying to go. Yeah. I hear you. Um, so I just want to bring this back and essentialize it a little bit, just in case people are listening and they're like, wait, why the hell are they talking about ancestors again? <laughs> so I want to, ref- I want to like essentialize it and then you reflect back um, anything you want to, anything you want to add. Um, and I'll just kind of also speak from my own personal experience, but I find that whether we're looking for friends or looking for a life partner or some sort of partner like that, we can often feel kind of scattered and really lonely. And like, we're kind of putting our confidence or worth in that other person. And, and so connecting with ancestors and your, in your past can really help you to just kind of come home to yourself so that you feel less anxious. You're not so dependent on other people's opinions of you or if they like you or not, or if they want to date you or whatever it is. And so that's been my experience, especially with more friendships, because I started this work after I met Stevie, but it's definitely helped me connect with Stevie as well. Uh, So I'd assume it helps single women in the same way, but what's your reflection on that? I mean, yes, such a yes. I think a lot of us have, due to history, due to geopolitical history, due to traumas and wars and whatever it is, have a severing that's happened in our lineages from like who we come from and our culture and our feelings of homeness, whatever that like groundedness, knowing who we are, confidence. And um, so we can only look for it in other places, right? Like, do we look for it in like obsessively swiping on dating apps or is it on social media or is it in food or is it on um, Netflix or, you know, is it, is it porn? Is it drugs? You know, there's so many places we look to fill that ache and um, that void and including other people like in codependency or in, you know, obsession or whatever it is like, like I need to be fixed. I am not whole that other person, that other thing. And I'm here to say, and I'm hearing you say this too, is the work is in really knowing who you come from and who you are through this ancestral reconnection. And that could be acknowledging all the people you came from and how you don't want to be like them anymore, or it could be looking at the threads 
the threads of the things you do want to have and the threads of the things you don't want to have. And that's the healing work, right? Like I look at all these women that I come from that I know of, and I know the names of some, and I don't know the names of most. And, um, a lot of, I mean, the resilience of these women, the like survival, like the many babies they had, the many immigration times they had to migrate, the wars they went through, the, the jobs they had to do, like there were many times they almost died, but didn't, you know, and the sacrifices they made, like I can pull that in, right? And be like, that is in me. That resilience, that strength, that like confidence of like, I will, I will thrive. That is in me. And that's the healing work. That's the healing work of looking up the line and whether you can like physically look it up or just like tune in and tap in or eat the food and have that remembrance, like trust that there is healing to be done by looking upstream. I love that. I love that. Um, Let's switch gears um, for a little bit. I want to talk about sisterhood and this has been something that's been super triggering to me. And this is a lot of what we worked on last year. And so what's the sisterhood wound? Is that what it's called? The sisterhood wound? I mean, some people call it that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I would define it as, um, it's cultural. It's, um, it's, it's like if you are listening and you really struggle with having relation, meaningful relationships with women or really play out the story that you can't trust women or really just go back to that one time that one thing happened and you were really hurt or, you know, what your mom told you about women or what you saw played out in your family with women. Like this is not, that's not like a unique experience, but this is actually pervasive in culture, which is uh, the belief, the perpetuation of the belief that women cannot trust each other and will betray each other and are catty and are manipulative, you know, like Eve was manipulative, you know, it's like pretty kind of an ancient um, lie, quite frankly, that has been perpetuated in society. And so I always like to look to history to explain this because it doesn't make sense to me because we're all talking about how we want sisterhood or if sisterhood is a triggering word, which I hear all the time, we want the village, right? We want, especially those of us, I am not yet a mother, but I'm I'm in a pre-parent stage where I'm planning on being a mother. And I see my friends who have had babies, even who have rock solid relationships with other women, uh, be like, I'm alone. I am alone. And this does not feel natural. Like, And then there's the eventual conversation about, how like women used to nurse each other's babies and take care of each other's babies and like the red tent times. And like when you were bleeding, you would go off and you would bleed and you'd have sacred time together and everyone supported each other. And how come we don't have that now, you know? And the re- the answer is there has been like a systemic <laughs> uh, campaign to pull women apart from each other. And you can look to, just Google the burning times of Europe and America. And you, there is just, that was a time when powerful women were torn apart from each other. And there was such a fear campaign that women were turning in each other, in each other so that they would be saved. It's horrifying. Take a deep breath and a big drink of water and ground yourself before reading this stuff, because it's very intense to read, but it's also the truth. It's all, and that's epigenetics right there. That being passed down, that, uh, we can't trust women. Plus, I mean, I love watching Real Housewives. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I love I love watching The Bachelor. I'm pretty open about that. <laughs> and let's talk about that for a second. Because those are examples of... <clears throat> those are examples of unhealthy female relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And we're obsessed with watching it. Why are we obsessed with watching it? Because I think we're trying... Our, con- our, our systems, our subconsciousness are trying to, like, rectify this imbalance we're feeling in society and we're obsessed with shadow, right? We need to look at the shadow. That's the shadow. What's happening on the bachelor and what's happening on real housewives or whatever else, the Kardashians, whatever it is, the, the like cattiness and the like betrayal, like we're obsessed with watching it because we know that like, there's something there. There's something there. 
And meantime, if we're like, all we're doing with our girlfriends is getting together and drinking wine and talking shit. Sorry, can I swear on this podcast? Oh yeah, you can say whatever you want. And talking shit about the women that aren't there. It's like, maybe we're doing it, but we're also being shown it by popular culture, but it's not what we actually want. And so I talked to so many women who are like, I'm such a, I'm such a bad gossip and I'm obsessed with crappy reality television and I don't feel safe being vulnerable in front, in front of my girlfriends and it's all I want. And I'm like, yeah, my hands raised too. That was me for years. Like it's tough. And so I, that's why, that's why I talk about the sisterhood wound because I think it has us go easier on ourselves in this process of trying to like right the ship and say, I don't want to be a gossipy bitchy woman anymore. I don't want to betray my friends. It's hard for me. Oh, that's because for the last, you know, 20 generations, 30 generations, this has been perpetuated so that we don't trust each other so that we can't have power so that we can't stand up for ourselves. But you see in society with me too, with all that's happening, there is greater strength in numbers happening in women. And so now there's this conversation about tribe or sisterhood or community that we all are really craving and that we're not feeling. And it's messy right now. A lot of us are feeling messy. And a lot of times when I talk about sisterhood, I get a lot of pushback of like, well, you haven't had my life, Becca. You haven't had the experiences I've had with women that have been deeply traumatizing. And to that, I say like, I'm so sorry that happened. That sounds awful. I've heard a lot of stories. I'm so sorry that happened. And even more of a reason to work towards meaningful relationships with, re- with women, even more of a reason to be a stand for sisterhood. And the process of getting sisterhood, you and I were just talking about this before we hit record, is massively triggering, (laughs) right? Like it shows you all your shit. It shows you all that like, we all just want to be like dancing under the moonlight, howling, howling at the sky and loving each other. But the pathway to that is tough. Yeah. Unraveling this wound is tough, but it's worth it. Yeah. For me, it's really helped also, you know, one thing I talk a lot about is, Um, a lot of women in my community will move to a new city and rather than first trying to build a new community of sisterhood, they're just already on Tinder swiping and going on dates before they have any friends or, um, or they've been living somewhere for a while and haven't really nurtured their friend group or maybe just have like the three or four people they hang out with and that's it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also worth mentioning here that Another big reason for sisterhood is that your partnership, your romantic partnership is never going to be everything. No one person is going to ever be everything. And so having a group of, of women to be there and different people for different parts of you, I think is just really important and not really talked about or realized a lot. Yeah. Like having like the friends, that you work out with or having the friends you co-work with or having the friends that you like watch the trashy television with. Like <laughs> it's, it's good for us, for all of ourselves, all parts of us to feel seen and be in community with. And I think there's a lot of pressure, just like there's a lot of pressure on the partner being everything. I think there's a lot of pressure on the best friend having that best friend. And um, I've just seen a lot of like best friendships sort of collapse or have these moments where it's like, what if we didn't have to have one best friend? What if we can just have communities of women, you know, like when you become a mom, you find your mom friends, right? Like you find your people um, with the same interests and passions. And we have many of those. Um, I think that can help reframe a lot of the pressure we put on relationships. Yeah, definitely. And um, you have a new podcast, which I'm super excited about. I listened to it the other day. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. Um, so everyone can go listen. It's called Belong, Belonging. Belonging. Yes. Belonging. Mm-hmm. And I listened, you talked about the connection between sisterhood and anxiety. Um, and I think, you know, we've kind of touched on that a little bit, but, you know, going back to the age of loneliness, I think the sisterhood, the um, connecting with ancestors, these are all anecdotes to this, this time of hyper-connectivity, but also hyper-loneliness. Deep disconnection. Yeah, it is all connected. Um, and I, 
I think in this first episode that we're talking about, I, I talked about um, how in this age of loneliness, there's the, okay, so I just heard this the other day that the publishing world just came out with stats that say books on the topics of anxiety, the sales are through the roof right now. And I was like, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised. There's like a greater acceptance of talking about mental health finally in the collective. And I'm like, really, I've been talking about it for years, but like in (laughs) popular culture, Mm -hmm. talking about, talking about mental health. And so that to me also speaks to this craving we all have to be able to be vulnerable with each other. You know, like the veneer of perfection is dying. You know, like you can see it in politics, like you can, there's no such thing as a perfect person. And so for all of us to just be able to drop the mask and drop the armor and be vulnerable with each other, I think is so healing. I mean, you even see it on social media, you know, it's like, what are what kind of content people crave? I want the real, real, like, tell me, tell me the real, real about your life. Mm-hmm. And if I follow someone who I just feel like isn't being real and it's like, I get it. They're on their path. They're figuring out whatever, but I'm not really interested. Yeah, I want, the same way. Yeah, I want to know the hard stuff, you know. And then I'm always challenging myself. My inner perfectionist is like, "No, no, that's not pretty." And then I'm like, "Shush!" Like, <laughs> I need to share the truth. We all need to share the truth. That contributes to this feeling of safety and vulnerability we're all craving with each other, you know. Yeah, for sure. I've been on a huge unfollowing fest on Instagram. <laughs> oh yeah, feels good, huh? Yeah, it, it's so funny. Um, I was, so I follow Ramit Sethi. I don't know if you know him. He's definitely not like anything close to like what we are. I don't know how to say. He's kind of kind of an asshole, but that's kind of his brand, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I appreciate that of him. But anyways, he, I don't know if it was on, I guess it was on an email or a blog. He showed three different Instagram feeds that had like the flat lays and like, I don't know, like the ice cream cone or the mug with like the totally like clean wall behind. And he was just saying like, these are three different feeds. <laughs> they could have been all the same feed, like exact same color palette style. And it just, it just made me, made me laugh. And I'm just like, yeah, I just don't think people are into that anymore. Like it's almost laughable. I know, like rosé all day, every day is not working for me anymore. Like hot dog legs every day on the beach is not working for me. You know, like I, I want the realness. Okay, so what was your criteria for unfollowing? Was it just intuitive? If they made me feel like I was less than, um, or if it was more of like, I'm parading to you how awesome I am, but there's no value in it for me as the content consumer than I unfollowed. Yeah. And that's totally your right. I mean, I think it's okay for us to unfollow even like our friends. If it's like bringing up stuff, like you can still have a friendship, you know, but if like, cause that comparison thing can also make us more Heidi and more isolated and more depressed, you know, and more judgmental. <laughs> and that's not what, the, you know, that's not the feelings we are, we're calling in, right? If we want to live like an authentic life and feel belonging and connection. And so, I mean, I don't know if you unfollowed some of your friends, but I have, and I love them dearly. And I'm just feeling so much better to not see them in my feed right now. You know, it's like a radical act, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be like crazy or unheard of, I'm sure for many people, for many people listening. But I always tell people if they're, if you're unfollowing, like, an ex or a friend of an ex or whatever, you know, you're, it's worth it. You know, if you're scrolling through Instagram or Facebook and you're having a good day and then all of a sudden you see something that's triggering, it's like, why is that more important than how you're feeling on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. It's our feed. Yeah. (laughs) What we want. I know it's, it's interesting how much we become, become a victim of it. Well, the scroll Gosh, don't get me started on. I know, I know. As long as I'm going to be, as long as I'm going to be addicted, I'm going to at least try to make it to where I'm following people who I really, genuinely am interested in, or who make me laugh, or who inspire me, or who teach me something. And if it's not that, then I'm I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. Did you read the life changing magic of tidying up? Um, I read like half of it, and I started doing it. it. You read all of it. You read all of it. The whole point is. 
you ask yourself this question, does it spark joy? Yeah. I had a friend who was like, I just conmarried my Instagram feed. And I was like, actually, <laughs> idea. Does this spark joy? Nope. Bye. Does this spark joy? Nope. Bye. It felt great. I, I, now that I'm talking about this, I, I feel like I could probably go through it again. And I go through it all the time. And then I add people back. And then, I mean, it's, it's a dance. It's a dance. Oh yeah. Nothing's permanent. Like it might just be a temporary thing. I don't know. It just depends how I feel. Exactly. And that's totally cool. I'm so glad we're talking about this. I'm glad we're giving people permission to do this because it took me a long time to be like, oh wait, I could unfollow. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. And how can my listeners connect with you and find you on the interwebs? I'm so sad it's over. No, I understand. Thank you for listening to us, whatever you're doing with your day. If you want to hang with me more, I'm at Becca Piastrelli on the Instas and um, BeccaPiastrelli.com online and come hang with me. Oh, yeah. And I have a new podcast. I have to remember. I have to say that now. Belonging. Search Belonging wherever you get your podcasts and listen to what I got to say. Yeah, everyone should listen to that podcast. I love the first episode. And time we recorded this, there was one episode out. I don't know how many will be out when this comes out. But go listen. And all of those links will be in the show notes. So everyone can find that. So thank you so much, Becca. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Love Life Connection podcast. Find the show notes to this episode and all episodes at veronicagrant.com forward slash podcast. You can also grab bonus downloads and more resources to help you find love at veronicagrant.com. That's also the place you can learn more about my private love and relationship coaching and group coaching programs. And if you love this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a rating or review in iTunes. It helps me to build this amazing community and help more amazing women like yourself find real love. And until next time, remember this, wherever you are is exactly where you need to be. You aren't broken. You don't need to be fixed. And even if you've never had the relationship you want before, it doesn't mean you can't have it now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.